That is the sound you never want to hear. It is the sound of a warning siren going off at a nuclear power plant. But whether you can hear that sound or not, we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from one mile away. So I know what it looks like when the so-called nuclear experts get it wrong. Well, this week, the enormous good news is that the San Onofre nuclear power plant in Southern California is shut down forever. We'll have interviews with activists from the local battlefront lines up to the national level, capturing the thrill of victory. No agony of defeat for us, but there is for Southern California Edison, but who cares? And we'll also have words of encouragement for others currently engaged in their own local battles against nuclear. That will be coming up in just a few minutes. Today is Tuesday, June 11, 2013, and here is the week's anti-nuclear news. Of course, the biggest story is the shutdown of San Onofre, and we'll have lots more information on that coming. But we do have a couple of quotes here. S. Dave Friedman, former head of the Tennessee Valley Authority and other utilities, said it was a step in the right direction and another move towards the renewable revolution that's underway in California. Daniel Hirsch of the Committee to Bridge the Gap, who has been fighting San Onofre since before it opened in the late 1970s, said, An atomic dragon has been slain. Millions of people in Southern California are now safer. San Onofre's closure comes on the heels of other good news for those of us who oppose nuclear. This week, Warren Buffett's Mid-America Energy scrapped plans to build nuclear plants in Iowa. Last month, Dominion Resources announced it was shutting down its Kewanee nuclear plant in Wisconsin. The U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission ruled that a partnership between Toshiba and NRG Energy to build two nuclear plants in Texas violated a U.S. law barring foreign control of nuclear plants on our soil. Duke Energy announced it was scuttling plans to build two nuclear plants in North Carolina. This came after Duke's earlier announcement that it would close its troubled Crystal River nuclear plant in Florida. So from 104, the U.S. in short order has gone to 100 operating nuclear plants, and most of these are also plagued with safety and financial problems. Many also face strong opposition and demands that they be shut down. Rock on! More on the San Onofre stoppage will be shared with you during the interviews. And there's some really good fallout, you should pardon my use of the term, coming in the wake of San Onofre shutdown. Southern California Edison's decision to decommission the San Onofre nuclear power plant, which was plagued by trouble with its replacement steam generators, reinforces the need for deep scrutiny of proposed steam generator replacements at the Davis-Bessie nuclear plant near Toledo. A local coalition of Beyond Nuclear, Don't Waste Michigan, Citizen Environmental Alliance of Southwestern Ontario, and the Sierra Club issued a statement saying the San Onofre debacle highlights the need for a full license amendment process, including public hearings for the generator replacements at Davis-Bessey. Next week, I will have an interview on Nuclear Hot Seat with Michael Keegan of this coalition. There's been another breach of the Oak Ridge Y-12 facility in Tennessee. A woman with suspected mental issues was able to drive into the main entrance and all the way through High Security Y-12 National Security Complex unhindered on Thursday, June 6th. The security breach occurred less than a year after three protesters, including an 82-year-old Buddhist nun, Sister Megan Rice, armed only with a Bible, some spray paint, and symbolic blood cut through a series of security fences and walked to the innermost sanctum of Y-12, the country's largest repository of weapons-grade uranium. Sister Rice and her associates have been charged with and found guilty of sedition against the United States government and face a possibility of 35 years in prison. But as Molly Martha Lightfoot, who is Dr. Helen Caldicott's right hand, said, Maybe they should drop the charges against Sister Megan Rice now that breaching Y-12 security is becoming a regular thing. 
More bad news for Tennessee when it comes to radiation. An environmental group said results of a detailed investigation released on June 6 reveal potential health hazards from radioactive emissions for residents near Browns Ferry Nuclear Power Plant. Belafonte Efficiency and Sustainability Team and Mothers Against Tennessee River Radiation officials said the study found potential links between radioactive emissions from Browns Ferry and adverse health effects in seven counties near the plant. The group said citizen-based monitoring shows preliminary patterns indicating that Browns Ferry may be adding to environmental radioactivity levels, especially at downwind and downriver sites and after rain events. Since Browns Ferry's startup in the mid-1970s, the local mortality rate, encompassing all causes, steadily rose from 1.7% to 20.5% above the U.S. rate. Nearly 1 million persons live within 50 miles of the plant, according to the study. Moving over to Japan, where the watchword is health. An ongoing study on the impact of nuclear radiation from the disaster-stricken atomic power plant at Fukushima on Fukushima residents has found an increase in thyroid cancer cases in the area's younger population. Data shows 12 minors with confirmed thyroid cancer diagnoses, up from a total of three in a report issued just last February. There are 15 others suspected to have cancer, which is up from seven in that same report earlier this year. The numbers and data were taken from about 174,000 people aged 18 or younger whose initial thyroid screening results were positive. The researchers were from the Fukushima Medical University, and they were quick to say that so far they do not believe that the increase is related to the nuclear crisis. That's right, it's all coming from swamp gas. They say that patterns from the 1986 Chernobyl disaster point to thyroid cases in children being found four to five years later, and now they're being found only two years after Fukushima. Would that not lead someone who is rational to believe that it's worse in Fukushima? Last month, a team of UN scientists who are all under the thumb of the International Atomic Energy Agency, which will not allow them to say anything that is not pre-approved by that pro-nuclear ruling body, said that the radiation levels of Fukushima residents was much lower than Chernobyl and that cancer cases are not expected to increase in the future. The delusion and the denial boggle the mind. But people in Japan are organizing and taking their own actions on behalf of thyroid screenings for Fukushima children. Saturday, the first set of independent thyroid screenings for children from the Fukushima region took place in Tokyo. A group established by journalist Ryuichi Hirokawa to support the children of Fukushima organized the screenings. For parents, it is part peace of mind knowing their child's true health status and also empowerment that if there is a problem, they can make their own decisions on what measures to take. Roughly half the children in Fukushima Prefecture participated in the initial thyroid screenings in 2011, which were just mentioned. Of the half screened, 27 so far have been thought to have or had confirmed thyroid cancers. Many others in this half screen qualify for the more intensive screening to look for cancer, but have not been brought into the Fukushima Health Survey to follow up so their status is not known. Further, the Fukushima Health Survey, the official one, does not include children from Miyagi Prefecture or any of the other areas outside Fukushima that received higher levels of radiation in 2011. The independent screenings in Tokyo will resume on Sunday, June 16, and a similar screening event will be going on that same day in Kyoto. Mr. Hirakawa's NGO group can accept international donations through PayPal, and we will have a link to the website if you are moved to give a donation to support the children of Fukushima. And Japanese NGOs are seeking endorsements from individuals and organizations in support of the recent recommendations published by the UN Special Rapporteur on the Right to Health. I guess he's a special rapporteur because he isn't under the thumb of the IAEA. This petition will have a link on our website, nuclearhotseat.com. Of course, it's the blog page. And some quick international notes. Austria's Zwentendorf nuclear power plant has been flooded. That's the bad news. The good news is that it wasn't online. Right now, it's underwater, so it's a good thing that it never went into operation. In France, on June 7, 
The transformer of Unit 1 at Katanam nuclear power plant caught fire and exploded. Francis Katanam is the eighth biggest nuclear power plant in the world, one of the biggest in Europe, and it's just 25 kilometers, about 18 miles, outside of Luxembourg's capital city. We have a scary picture of that explosion, and you'll see it on our website. You know where to go. And finally, Sweden, look out. Swedish utility Vattenfall has started discussions with local landowners and tenants with a view to purchasing land neighboring the Ringals power plant. This land could be used for the construction of a new nuclear facility. Vattenfall is the majority owner of two of Sweden's operating nuclear power plants, Ringals and Forsmark, and the dialogue with landowners is part of an ongoing analysis of its options for the eventual replacement of its nuclear capacity. Sweden, step away from the sale of your land to nuclear. Stop it before it can go any further. Well, the interview today is going to be a lot of fun. Reactors 2 and 3 at San Onofre Nuclear Power Plant are done, finished, kaput, ain't never going back online again. Woo effin' hoo! So for this week's interview segment, Nuclear Hot Seat is presenting a combo platter of comments from celebrating activists both locally and nationally. It's an audio snapshot of where people were, what they felt, what they did to celebrate, and what they're thinking about now that we've won our most immediate battle. There's some great advice and support for activist tactics and strategies that can be used around the world. And of course, even amidst the positive feelings, we're already compiling the new to-do list for our movement, because now we have to deal with, well, I will let our homegrown experts tell you. First, we'll hear from Gary and Lori Hedrick, who founded San Clemente Green and have been in the forefront of the battle to close down San Onofre. How did you learn that SCE was closing San Onofre, and what was your first response when you found out? I was on my way home from workout at about 6.30 in the morning on Friday and had the news radio on, and they announced Edison has plans to shut down San Onofre. And I'm like, what? And so I called Gary uh, on the way home. I said, did you hear the news? And he said, no. And I said, they just announced Edison's going to shut down San Onofre. Google it. <laughs> So when I got home, then you had yeah. uh, checked on it. Suddenly, I, um, I'm thinking, that can't be true, but the only thing they had online at that point was one sentence from the Associated Press saying San Onofre's been shut down, and there's no story or anything with it. I'm just going nuts, thinking, oh, my God, is this real? Then uh, Lori got home shortly, and you just couldn't believe the tears and joy and laughter. It was so just undescribable. Because yeah. How long have you two been working actively against San Onofre? Since the end of 2009, when whistleblowers talked to us about the steam generator replacement project going sideways, they were afraid of the way it was going in, and they were right. So what did you do to celebrate this momentous event? <laughs> Nothing yeah, quite they, yet, because we want to be with... You know, the whole group of community advocates yeah. that have been working so hard on this. The first so, thing I did was um, talk to Torgan Johnson, who had just a few days, three days prior to that, had pulled off one of the best panel discussions on the topic the world's ever seen. Was, that was the one with uh, former Japanese Prime Minister Naoto Kan, the NRC's Greg Yasko, Arnie Gunderson, and Peter Bradford. Imagine Torgan having finally had some time just to recuperate from that big event. He was off by his, with his family by themselves, just trying to catch up. And then to hear that news from me, I was so glad. I was the first one to get to wake him up because <laughs> that was like a moment he and I will never forget. While this is a milestone, I know that we're nowhere near done with San Onofre. What do you see as being next? I mean, you're not going to fold your tents and silently steal away. So what's next? We have to reorient ourselves to this whole long process. It's going to be decommissioning five or ten years, maybe more. That you know, I've heard quotes up to half a century, but 
obviously our job is to push it, make it happen as soon and as safe as possible, starting with spent fuel that's in pools that should be in dry cast storage. What would you tell activists to keep them in good heart and keep moving forward as a result of what you have experienced? I say persevere and never give up. When we come together, it's incredible what can be done when people will step up and take a stand and add their voice. And one of my favorite quotes is, the power of the people is stronger than the people in power. And I think that came through loud and clear with this San Onofre issue. I like that one, too. You know, there's so many ups and downs we've had and unpredictable changing field where we just didn't know exactly what to expect. No matter what it was, we gave it our best. And I think having the ability to respond quickly and have really good communication channels with people you trust and can work together well makes all the difference. And like Gloria was saying, perseverance is hard to do when you're feeling overwhelmed and such a huge obstacle in front of us. But as momentum grows and more people get behind the movement and you realize this is how all successful stories flow. There's lots of ups and downs and lots of doubt. But if you just keep at it, you can do it. And there's so many problems in the world that need the same kind of approach as part of the solution. Well, you two have been part of the solution since before I got involved in this movement. And... I love you, and I thank you, and I'm still, you know, in stray moments, breaking out into absolute giggle fits and hugging myself and jumping up and down in the sunshine. We are, too. Exactly. <laughs> Such a wonderful feeling. Gary and Lori Hedrick. Torgan Johnson is the visionary behind last week's symposium on Fukushima Daiichi disaster, Lessons for California. He was recuperating from having produced that event with his family on vacation north of Los Angeles when he got the good news. I was asleep at a hotel. I was taking a break with my family. We hadn't had a break in several months. Because of the event that you produced that we were that we were able to highlight last week. Yes, and I got a phone call from Gary Hedrick from San Clemente Green, and uh, I knew something was either very right or very wrong. <laughs> I'm gonna call that early in the morning. So I. What time was it? It was oh, about must have been about 6:30 in the morning. Uh, I picked up the phone, and I heard Gary very emotional on the other end of the phone. And uh, he was—he told me that Edison just announced that they're going to shut down the power plant and decommission it. <laughs> what was your response? What? How did you feel? Uh, a certain amount of disbelief, and I thought to myself, oh, very good, very good. They they get it. They get it. Whoever whoever it was, whether it was upper management or if it was the shareholders that pushed that decision, they get it. They get it because the, the conference spoke to them in a very common English that everybody understood what the issues were and I couldn't I couldn't have been happier at that moment. What did you do to celebrate? I took my kids into a small pool and we we splashed in the shallow end of a pool, and then we went out and had pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> How normal of you. <laughs> now, Torgan, you were so involved in the battle against San Onofre. When did you start? I started my awareness when, uh, just after the Fukushima disaster, about three weeks after, um, we detected radiation in the milk here in San Diego County, the milk that I was feeding my children. And I think that's the moment that I tuned into the nuclear issue. And then shortly after that, uh, looked closely at the, at the safety of San Onofre, just 30 miles away from my family. In the wake of this amazing success, certainly not the end of the battles that we're going to have, as so many of the activists have spoken about the work that's still ahead of us, but from this pinnacle of having succeeded, what would you like to tell activists around the country and indeed around the world to help keep them in good heart for their own struggles? The nuclear issue is so technical, and it becomes so legal when you're when you're locked in 
uh, a fight to shut down a nuclear power plant. What's missing in those fights is the public forum. In other words, engaging the larger public around the power plant and, and discussing the issues in, in terms that everybody can understand. Not having viable evacuation plans, huge areas of land contamination that renders land and, and land improvements worthless. Those are the messages that need to be communicated to decision makers. I would say also that the industry, the nuclear industry, the way it's set up now, is unsustainable. So it's actually much more fragile than it appears to be. It has political will behind it, but it doesn't have economic logic behind it. So as much as the industry would like to push this technology, what the public and the, and the, and the concerned citizens need to be aware of is you just need to focus on those things about the industry that don't make any sense, either from a public safety standpoint or an economic standpoint, and bring those, bring those to, the, to the forefront of your discussions because those are the things that ultimately weigh heaviest on the decision makers when they decide to either relicense or to shut these things down. I want to say also that Edison's had a press conference, I believe it was Friday morning, and they discussed the reasons for shutting down the power plant, and they were all economic. And that was actually a huge insult to the public. And what it sort of told me was that if that's really the reason why they shut this thing down was purely on economic grounds, then Edison never learned any lessons from Fukushima because it wasn't just a bottom-line economic issue. It was about people protecting their families and their homes. So if that's the case, what we need to do going forward is to make sure that Edison doesn't charge the public for their mistakes. They made numerous mistakes. They covered those mistakes up, and now they want to charge the public for those mistakes, and I don't think that's acceptable. So going forward now, we need to just let the industry know, Southern California Edison, know that I have no idea, we have no idea how they could base any argument that the public needs to be held responsible, financially responsible for the mistakes, the gross mistakes, and almost criminal behavior of Edison's upper management in all the decisions surrounding the steam generator replacement project. If there was a way to extrapolate out lessons or advice or just cheering on activists elsewhere who are struggling in this battle in their own communities, what would you say to them? The path between starting a fight and winning a fight passes through despair. <laughs> so hang in there, even in the worst of times, hang in there, and know that we have a model now, and we'd be glad to share what we've learned with any group that's in the same fight for their safety and the safety of their families and their homes. We in Southern California, there are many, many groups and NGOs that have been engaged in this fight at San Onofre would be honored to share our information with other communities trying to protect themselves. Torgan Johnson. Kevin Camps of Beyond Nuclear provides a national perspective on our victory. Well, it was on email, and it was Friends of the Earth who first got the word out and around. So I was thrilled, and it changed my whole day because we had to, uh, you know, respond to a lot of questions. and get Questions from who? Out. Uh, reporters and activists around the country. Um, you know, it's not the first closure. Uh, it's a huge one, and it's tremendous news. But, man, starting at Christmas time, uh, Jean T2 in Quebec closed down. That was a 40-year-old Canadian reactor. Crystal River, Florida, Kewanee, Wisconsin, those were all reactor closures, the first ones in 15 years in, in the United States and North America, Canada too. And then you have to add Paducah, Kentucky, the gaseous diffusion uranium enrichment plant that closed down on, on June 1st. So it's been a tremendously uh, good year in terms of closing down old nukes. A lot of new nukes have been canceled, ones that were on the drawing boards that the utilities have just walked away from. Of course, we have a lot, of, a lot of work left. We have 100 old reactors still operating, uh, catastrophes waiting to happen. There's uh, four reactors that have broken ground, new proposed ones in Georgia and South Carolina. But, you know, we need to celebrate this one. This was a huge victory. How did you celebrate? 
Oh, just talking to dear friends in the movement who I've worked with for decades. Uh, you know, one of the next ones on our target list, so to speak, is Davis Bessie, Ohio, near Toledo. They've taken the same exact shortcuts as San Onofre did in terms of a scheduled steam generator replacement for next year. And, you know, I've, I'm from Michigan. I've worked with the folks watchdogging Davis Bessie for 20 years, and people are very hopeful. We've got Arnie Gunderson as our expert witness. We just filed our petition to intervene against the steam generator replacement. And, you know, it's not our mistake. It's First Energy Nuclear Operating Company's mistake. They took the same exact shortcuts. They tried to avoid the uh, full hearing process, and we're going after them. And they ramped up the, uh, the steam generators as well? Well, they got them from a different manufacturer. Their plan, they're, they're already mostly built, if not entirely built, and their plan is to breach the containment at Davis-Bessie next year and swap out the steam generators. This will be the fourth breach of containment, and one of Davis-Bessie's many claims to infamy, I guess you could say, is that it has a cracked containment not unlike Crystal River, Florida. That was the fatal blow that shut down permanently Crystal River, Florida with a cracked containment. Davis Bessie has one, too. They're about to breach containment again, and every time they breach containment, they are damaging containment that much more. So Davis Bessie is an accident waiting to happen. We've been trying to get it shut down for a long time. What do you think is the significance of San Onofre being closed and the monumental activist response that took place to keep the pressure on the regulators and the eyes of the world to actually move to the point where it was shut down. I think it's very telling that, you know, it was not really the NRC that shut this down. It was the company that chose not to go through a hearing. And I think uh, the gig is up, the game is up. Uh, these kangaroo courts that the NRC has oftentimes are just glorified rubber stamps. They may take years, but that was uh, – that was some months or years that Southern California Edison did not have in terms of the money it was hemorrhaging in keeping the plant, you know, restart ready and paying for replacement power. They didn't even have, you know, six months to go through a public hearing process. And so that's a hopeful thing, and uh, we need to just uh, redouble our efforts on these fronts. If you had words of encouragement for activists in the wake of this stunning victory in Southern California, what would they do? Well, you know, I just really respect the anti-nuclear movement in this country. I mean, we had a 15-year drought in Nebraska has been shut down for a couple years after its massive flooding and needs to stay shut down permanently. So that's certainly low-hanging fruit that we need to go after. But there are these operating reactors, places like Palisades in Michigan, that are having breakdowns and leaks on, if not a weekly basis, then a monthly basis. And we've all seen what can happen at the General Electric boiling water reactors of the Mark I and Mark II design. You know, three of them uh, melted down and exploded on live television in Japan. Well, we've got 31 of those in the United States. So we need to start going after the ones that are up and running, that are at full steam, and folks should take a lot of encouragement from just a tremendous victory uh, that so many folks worked towards at San Onofre, and we need to apply that energy and that inspiration to shutting down these uh, dangers in our midst. Anything you'd care to add? Well, you know, it's not just the uh, reactor risks that have gone away at San Onofre. It's the radioactive waste generation that has stopped. And granted, there's a lot of radioactive waste that is stockpiled at San Onofre, it needs to be safeguarded, it needs to be uh, secured, and it needs to be kept from leaking into the environment for millions of years into the future. And uh, the good news is they won't make any more, and that's another upside of these reactor shutdowns is uh, stopping the generation of radioactive waste. But another huge fight that is looming is this fight that they want to start moving the waste on the roads and rails and waterways and parking it in places like Native American reservations in the West just to get it off the liability ledgers of the utilities, and we just can't let that happen. That was Kevin Camps of Beyond Nuclear. Kathy Awane evacuated Japan with her two daughters, leaving her husband back home in Japan. She relocated to Southern California and hit the ground running with our movement, serving as an instrumental bridge between these two countries, down to serving as interpreter for former Prime Minister Naoto Kan at last week's event. Here's Kathy Awani. 
I got up before 6 o'clock, as I normally do on a school day, and I checked my regular email because Facebook, believe it or not, we, we have so much faith in Facebook, but it's all the email that creates the Facebook and all of the Twittering and et cetera. And I checked an email from Donna Gilmore, our matriarch, and I could not for the life of me believe it. And I had a whole 10 minutes to read Southern Cal Edison's announcement on their website that this indeed indeed was the case, that they were uh, looking toward decommissioning. And I, there was the initial shock that ran up my spine, excitement, and then I broke down into tears. Why tears? Well, because it is just a testament to the sacrifice, the hard work, the lovely friendships, the amazing, amazing people that I have been able to encounter in this whole, I call it a fight, but it's been a lovely, compassionate coalition of caring, intelligent people. And it was just the energy that went into this and then the memories of all the faces that sort of ran through my mind, all the people that helped me, all the people that I was able to help, it just, in a year, it was just, it was pinpointed and it came out in in tears. You were at the press conference that was held outside of San Onofre. What was it like to get down there and be part of that? Well, it was just so exciting. Getting into that car with wet hair, no makeup, I didn't care. I wanted to give everyone that I knew, I didn't care who was going to be there because I knew that the important people that are with me in this were going to be there. And along the way, the most exciting thing happened to me in the car, Genzo Sawada, he was one of the Buddhist monks, and he happened to call me because he couldn't get a hold of Gary Hedrick of uh, San Clemente Green. He couldn't get a hold of Gene Stone, the two... uh, pillars of this whole thing. They were too busy handling calls. And he called me in the car and he just said, Kathy, and I didn't recognize the number. And I said, yes. And this is all in Japanese, of course. And he says, it's Sawada-san. And I just was so happy to talk to him because he was the one that was leading the Buddhist monks when they, they fasted and they meditated for a total of five days. And then we walked seven miles down to the pier, which is as close as we wanted to get to the reactors that day. And it was just, for me, a very spiritual turning point because I've studied and practiced Buddhism in, in my years in Japan. And it was just sort of the most beautiful way to cap this for me before I met everyone at the press conference. And that was what was going on uh, on the way, on the 35-minute drive to uh, San Clemente. How did you celebrate, or how have you celebrated? After the press conference, my husband was up checking, you know, I think he was up early checking the waves, and we finally, there was a a really nice meeting at Pizza Port, and that included our hero, Arnie Gunderson, Donna Gilmore, and all of the activists. And I still hadn't spoken to my husband because Japanese time, it was still uh, 4.30, 5 o'clock. So 5 o'clock came around and he called me. He's remained back in Japan while you evacuated with your children. Exactly. So that first, that sort of confirmation of the fact, he just couldn't believe it. And we had a little uh, virtual celebrating. It's been in tears, tears of celebration. And we had that night. My daughter, my oldest daughter, is at home right now with him in Japan. And that night, uh, the four of us, all of our family members, the two girls and Shige and I, had a virtual love fest. We had hugs and kisses, you know, via Skype. And all the excitement that came with that. And then that night, I just took my little girl out, and we had a nice dinner. And we said, we're not worrying about what we're eating tonight. (laughs) (laughs) We're not worried about radiated food. We're just going to enjoy ourselves. If you could speak directly to activists and give them some message of hope for whatever it is they're involved in in their own community, something to help them keep their spirits up in the wake of us having had this amazing experience on Friday of actually shutting down a nuclear reactor, what would you want to tell them? The most important thing is to be open, have an open mind, 
because we all have something to offer, all of us, everyone, whether it be an environmental lawyer, whether it be an RN nurse who has who is a specialist in emergency response, whether it be your neighborhood education board, whether it be a doctor who has a conscience, someone who's registered with the Physicians for Social Responsibility. There are artists, there are musicians, we all have conscience, uh, mothers, we all raise children, we're concerned about food. There's no end to the way that you can reach out. And of course, you know, a lot of us are quite confident in our speaking abilities or however that is, but just hold your truth and you don't have to stomp and scream and be a radical protester. You can you can make your peace in so many different ways. Local media, boards of realtors, whatever your forte is, there are so many venues at which to to make your point. And I think that if it doesn't happen now, it will happen. That was Kathy Awana. Diane De Rico serves as Radioactive Waste Project Director for NEARS, Nuclear Information and Resource Service. When I called the office, I couldn't get much out of my mouth before I got her reaction to the San Onofre win. So, Diane, what was your response when you found Yahoo! <laughs> Yippee! <laughs> Congratulations to everyone who worked on it. Yippee! Yahoo! Occasionally, democracy can work. <laughs> I love your response. How did, how did you find out? When did you get the news and how? I was actually homesick that day, and I heard from a coworker at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, apparently, my office put it out early in the morning, but I didn't hear about it until 4. I was probably one of the last to know, but uh, it certainly was exciting and terrific, fabulous news. And, you know, first one wonders if it's really true and how much we have to monitor and stay on top of that. But it appears that it is true. So what did it? What did it was public scrutiny and public attention and publicity, um, letting others, let, letting our colleagues and neighbors and friends and family know what was really going on and paying attention. And I think with all of that under the spotlight, they just couldn't continue to rip off and threaten the public. And if you had something that you wish to convey to activists around the country, even around the world, what would that be? Oh, let's keep this ball rolling. Diane de Rigo from NEARS. Gene Stone is founder of Residents Organized for Safe Environment in Southern California. He's been in the forefront of the San Onofre battle for years. Here's what this Native American elder had to say, including a surprising revelation about the speed of our communication through social media and who we beat with the information. I first learned at 6.38 a.m. by Twitter. A friend of mine, uh, a reporter for a PBS radio station, uh, tweeted to me that uh, Edison had put out this notice that they were not going to restart. And so I immediately sent that out to all my friends and uh, because Ed is a not only a trusted reporter, he's a trusted friend, and so I, I knew it was real. I saw the link to the uh, to the article, so I immediately started calling and and uh, uh, sending out emails to everybody to wake up and see what's going on. And I didn't actually have time to read the thing until about nine nine thirty, which is when I discovered that Edison had figured out that. They could actually make more money by decommissioning, which is why they've suggested that the decommissioning process is going to take 60 years when, uh, you know, the government recommendation for decommissioning a nuclear power plant is about 30 years, and even that is about easily twice as long than it should take. It's clear that Edison saw that the pressure that the activists were putting on was not going to let this die. It was going to take at least another year for them to restart which would have made it absolutely impossible for the PUC to uh, say that it was justified to charge the ratepayers all that money. And Edison did not feel like they were getting the response from the NRC that they had had in the past, uh, so they were getting a little flack and not as much agreement as normal. So I think 
their top accountant and CEO people looked at it and said, look, we can make more money decommissioning this plant and charging the ratepayers for 60 years, which is what they're planning on doing. By 8 o'clock, the press were calling. We had set up this meet out at the plant at 9.30, and we were there till I, I left at 1.30 because I had already contacted the NRC about 7 o'clock California time and they had not. They actually learned of San Onofre's uh, shutdown from me. Because <laughs> I, I called someone I know there, and they were in a meeting with the chairman. And as I was telling her, a note was slipped to the chairman that California Edison had decided to not reopen. So I actually got that minute, that news to them a couple of minutes beforehand. So that, that just shows you how effective social media can be about getting information out quickly. So, Gene, if you had a message you wanted to share with activists around the U.S., really around the world, because that's where Nuclear Hot Seat is listened to, what would you want to tell them about where we go from here? First of all, realize that people power works even if it's one person. Find another person, and then you got peoples. So get to work. It can be done. Put the pressure on. Never give up use everything they do wrong against them and notify the public and put pressure on all levels and just keep it up, keep it up, and don't give up, never give up. The other thing that is really important for us to to pay attention to here, I mean, we're the fourth uh, reactor to start the decommissioning process here at some point in the last two months. There's four Four nuclear power plants have, uh, have shut down. Right, Kiwani, Crystal River, and now the two at San Onofre. Right. So it is it is uh, important to stay on top of that because the rate payers can really uh, take a beating in this process. So activists around those communities have to stay on top. So I immediately uh, came home at 1.30 from the press conference, and I immediately wrote to the NRC saying, uh, I know we can't talk about it this soon, but I want a meeting with the, the NRC commissioners right away, and we want a seat at the table to discuss how this uh, decommissioning uh, is going to go forward and how it's going to be done, because we cannot let the ratepayers be taken uh, by California Edison during this process, and there's no way that it should take 60 years, and there's no way that uh, we are going to allow this to become a nuclear waste dump for 290 years because we're on fault lines, we're in a tsunami zone. So we have a lot of problems to work out with the NRC, with the other federal agencies and state agencies about the whole decommissioning process. Now, this is, this is a much bigger fight than shutting down nuclear power plants because there are no real good solutions, and everybody has an opinion, so there's going to be a lot of work to do. But it has to be started, and it has to be started now. The second thing that I would tell all the activists around the world is fight what you're against, but get involved in what you're for as well. So what you're saying is that while we all still have to work against nuclear, we should also have a look to the future as to what the replacement is going to be and be supporting that along the way. Exactly. Gene Stone. Donna Gilmore is the powerhouse who runs San Onofre Safety, including the group's information-packed website. Patty Davis uh, called me at... I don't know, some ungodly hour of the morning, and told me that her her husband had heard on the television that San Onofre was closing permanently. And my first reaction was, oh, she must have heard it wrong. (laughs) You know, know, uh, but, you know, I just went along with it. Oh, okay, uh, well, okay, um, I'll do some checking, and you know, because we were both in disbelief, you know. So I happened to have uh, uh, Sean Burney and Kendra Ulrich were 
at my house uh, in Arnie Gunderson. That's quite a crew to have at your house. Yes, uh-huh. So there had been some events that week with the former prime minister of Japan and Arnie Gunderson and the former NRC chief. That was a very powerful thing that uh, it, Torgan Johnson that came up with that idea, and that, that was a very powerful event. So to have that earlier in the week, and that was our our big thing. I'm hoping to have that on the website so everybody can see that because it's a it's a not to be missed event. That's SanOnofreSafety.org. Yeah, SanOnofreSafety.org. So I went out and yeah, uh, you know, Shawnee and had heard the news that was real. And my next thought is, okay, where are we going next? You know, we've got two more. We've got two more nuclear plants that California is addicted to. So we need to break that addiction. And um, and the the uh, the California Nuclear Initiative may be coming up again. And one of the roadblocks we had before was the fiscal analysis from the state was that oh it would just cost millions and billions of dollars. You know, if we didn't have San Onofre, but there was really no cost impact if Diablo Canyon was shut down. So now if we only need to shut down one, they're going to have a heck of a time coming up with any any economic impacts if that plant is down. So anyway, and then other activist organizations I'm learning, they're reevaluating their strategy in light of what happened here. So this is a, uh, this is having you know, implications. I think all over the world. I got a call from a Japanese media in New York, and they were they were asking me for advice to give the Japanese people, and that was surreal. You know, three years ago, I was just sitting in my backyard reading the newspaper, Orange County Register, saying San Onofre was firing employees for reporting safety problems, and it went from there to to giving the Japanese people advice. You know, it's just who would have ever thought. This gives me hope. I mean, this gives me hope that we can make a difference in a rig system. I have to thank Friends of the Earth and their donors that provided the money so we could have the lawyers and the experts to take them on. And I want to thank Dan Hirsch. Uh, uh, we had a city council meeting in San Clemente that kind of really started all this, where we uh, had Arnie Gunderson and uh, Dan Hirsch the professor from Santa Cruz is an expert on this stuff. And we had Helen Caldicott on uh, on Skype. And uh, we had our entire city council, who this is kind of an Edison town, listen to credible information that could not be denied. And that was a turning point meeting. We had facts. We had experts. And then after that point, we had mayors from other cities calling us, wanting information. We weren't just a bunch of marginalized environmentalists. They realized that we had the facts, and that made the difference. We had the facts. We had the experts. We had documentation to back up what we were saying. So Edison could not get away with their lies because our strength is we have the truth, but we need to speak with the experts behind us and with, you know, with our you know, the documents, even government documents. I love using their own words against them. Donna Gilmore of San Onofre Safety. Ray Lutz is the head of Citizens Oversight, and he brought his engineering background to bear on all he did in this battle to keep the San Onofre reactors shut down. Of course, I was overjoyed about the whole thing. That morning, I was outside in the yard because we were looking for our cat. My wife said, gee, you've got all kinds of, like, voicemail messages and, and texts that have been coming in while you've been outside. So I checked into it, and then I realized that, you know, already a lot of people had heard about it, that they were planning the 9 o'clock investor phone call from Edison. And I talked to Gene and Gary, and we organized a press conference at, uh, at 11 at the plant because we, we, we realized that this was going to happen. In fact, I thought it would happen about a year ago. You're talking about the shutdown of San Onofre. Yeah, the shutdown should have happened a year ago. It was still a surprise, though, because we had no clue that they weren't just going to follow through with their stonewalling that they've done for, for that last year. But apparently, at least the way I'm looking at it, this uh, ASLB, Atomic Safety and Licensing Board, and they are part of the NRC, but you know they ruled on this with the Friends of the Earth requests for hearings and so forth to at least be a possibility, and that ruling, I think, is what really uh, was the final blow to Edison's plants, because it was about a three-week 
earlier, and that's about the amount of time that they took. And I think they wanted to wait till it was in the next month, and then the first, you know, a convenient Friday. Always on a Friday to bury the news if they possibly can. Yeah, but not this one. You know, this is such big news. It's not getting buried. <laughs> you know, we had our press conference. It was great. You know, there's going to be some more more celebrations as time goes on because we really haven't had a chance to really even regroup and realize that some of the tasks that we were planning to do now no longer need to be done. So I'm relieved that we weren't going to have to continue to fight this insanity that we're looking at here. I understand that they wanted to try to defend their position, but but the reality is reality. I mean, this thing was misdesigned, and actually they clearly now we know that they were pushing the limits. They were trying to, to maximize the amount of steam and increase the amount of steam coming out of the steam generators, and they had replaced the high-pressure turbines with the expectation of having more steam pressure, and they were planning to run the nuclear reactor at even higher temperature than than they used to because they claim that their measurement techniques are better now, so they don't have to worry about the variability. I take no assurances from the nuclear industry ever that everything's going to be okay because it can go so wrong so quickly. That's right. And, and you know, the problem is, and this is what we've learned through this whole process, is that the Nuclear Regulatory Commission really doesn't regulate anymore. Uh, what they do is kind of like asking drivers on the freeway to set their own safe speed limit and then turn themselves in if they go over it. <laughs> you're not going to get too many tickets that way, and I'm sure you're going to have some pretty speedy drivers that claim that their speed was perfectly safe. While we are at this milestone, I know we're nowhere near done with San Onofre. What do you see as being next? Well, you know what? I've had a lot of contacts from people across the country who are uh, struggling with their own nuclear plant nearby. And remember, this is not the only nuclear plant in the country. We're we're sitting here with a vast, the, the largest amount of energy produced from nuclear in any country is the United States. Uh, we have the largest inventory. 100 and, left. Yeah, 100 left, okay. And so a lot of these people have contacted and they said they're looking at our success. It's kind of heartwarming to see their group of people that are there in their pictures and, and their T-shirts and their and their signs about their issue. And they're saying, can you help us? Is there some way that that they can sort of leverage and, un, and, and learn from what we've done? I'm hoping that we can at least pick out a few, like, really good targets. And at least, you know, the relicensing, which I, was interesting to hear, and the investor call that we heard, and maybe I believe that's where it was, when they said that their estimations for you know how much they would be able to the risk that they were taking on this was based on the current licensing period, and that the fact is that you can't depend upon a renewal anymore with these things. It used to be a slam dunk, but now after Fukushima and after people have been realizing that they can do something, I think that they're going to have a lot of trouble with relicensing. So that's where we have an opportunity. Ray Lutz of Citizens Oversight. Finally, Priscilla Starr, the founder of the Coalition Against Nukes, or CAN, provides a heartfelt salute to all the activists. I was crying. I mean, I was so happy. I, I don't even know all you guys that are there, but the ones I do know, and I could face names from pictures... And, and now I'm making more friends through Facebook. I didn't feel any separation between us, you know. I just, that's the overall feeling I had. I didn't, it didn't matter geography, you know. We were all there together. And I get goosebumps still. It's only been three days. It's not even a week. This is good for our health. I mean, in the end. So I know this is good for our health. It's like better than any kelp that's good than not tainted. It's all good. It's green. It's green. All eyes were on this race to close San Onofre from Japan to California, from Maine to Florida to Timbuktu. All eyes were on this race. In my gut, I felt that it was a win-win. I, I know that I wasn't there in California fighting it, like in the trench or on the front line, but I knew that good was going to win over evil. And what I'm trying to say is everybody was, like, winning the race. 
like no matter how big or small the part they were playing or how fast or slow they were running around the track, this was a race we were all going to win. You know, come hell or high water, we were all going to win it. It wasn't just one horse that stood out as the winner of the race. You know, it was all of us. You know, that's, that's what makes me choke up. So that's how I feel for what happened last Friday, and I love you all. Priscilla Starr. My thanks to all the activists who shared their thoughts, as well as all who worked on this struggle in any way. Here's the final thought. Today marks the end of the second full year of Nuclear Hot Seat. And what a way to round out two years of podcasts. Has our movement ever had a week like this? Could we even have imagined this as happening a mere two years ago? First, this major event in San Diego with Naoto Kan and Gregory Asko talking about the dangers of nuclear. And then Friday's stunning announcement from Southern California Edison shutting it down. (sighs) Do you feel that? Take it in. Savor it. We worked hard for it and we deserve it. We won. We activists in Southern California, with support from the national organizations and the world-class experts, we shut down two nuclear reactors. I have been giddy with the happy dance since last Friday. Quite the opposite of the feelings we usually have to cope with in battling pro-nuclear forces. As Torgan Johnson said during his interview, when battling giants, we inevitably go through times of despair. When that happens, just keep going. If you need encouragement, remember this victory, the feelings, the emotion when you first found out, the energy of this moment in time, and let it fuel you when things get bleak and you feel that nothing will change because it will change. We here in Southern California are just a group of people who live in proximity to a potential nuclear disaster who got together, kept working, and look at the results. If we could do this, you can do it. And as you heard from the interviewees, we are here to assist you in sharing what worked, what didn't, and what you can do. You know, I said this from the start, that San Onofre was a David and Goliath battle. If you're a regular listener to Nuclear Hot Seat... You know what I'm about to say right now about David and Goliath, don't you? So all together now, David won. Happy dance, happy dance, happy dance, happy dance. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, June 11, 2013. Material for this week's podcast has been compiled from enenews.com. And thank you, Grant, for that personal shout-out. It is much appreciated. And Formable.com and Lucas Hickson, Knox News, Japan Daily Press, Simply Info Org, World Nuclear News, which buried its story about San Onofre all the way at the bottom of their newsletter, <laughs> Shockweiler.blogspot.com, and the Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook community. The Nuclear Hot Seat Archive is available on iTunes or at NuclearHotSeat.com forward slash blog. If you're as elated as I am, about what just happened in Southern California, why don't you give a donation, no matter what size? You can give it to Nuclear Hot Seat. You can give it to San Onofre Safety. You can give it to Residents Organized for a Safe Environment, San Clemente Green, or any of your local nuclear organizations. I can assure you we don't have anywhere near the budget that the nuclear industry has to tear us down. But yet, we can do so much with so little. So give a little. Give a lot. Make yourself part of the energy flow that is the ongoing downward spiral of nuclear. Nuclear Hot Seat is the activist voice on nuclear issues. So use us and support us as the resource we are. If you've got a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. We are copyright 2013. Libby Halevi and Hardestry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed. You have my permission to reuse this material as long as proper attribution, 
website, and email are included. This is Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that we've all had our nuclear wake-up call now. Do not go back to sleep. Happy dance, happy dance, happy dance, happy dance, happy dance.